Amen. Thank you for singing. You may have a seat. You know, the hosts of heaven were singing along with us. I don't know if it's the exact song. Maybe they have some others up there that we've never even heard before. Can you imagine singing praise to our Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever? And there's no end to that. Man, this is just the beginning, everyone. This is just the beginning. The taste of heaven on earth. That's what he's doing with his kingdom. And Jesus is the light of the world. As you probably know, hopefully remember, we are going through a series on uh, what did Jesus actually say? Jesus in his own words. And as we start out launching a new church, this is a big, a big undertaking. <laughs> you feel it sometimes? This is a big undertaking. There is no way on earth we're going to be able to do this in our own strength. Is that right, Mark? There's no way. I don't have the strength for that. Yeah, I, I might, I might, you know, be a little bit younger. I might have some passion, but look, you know, even even youth grow tired and weary. We run and and we get faint. Even this morning, Will was saying he was running, right? And you know, you can only run so many miles, even if you're an experienced runner. You hit your limits. Jesus has no limits. So who is Jesus? Who is the hope of the nations? Who is the hope of Living Hope Church? It's Jesus. And this morning, I felt drawn to the passage on, in John 8, where Jesus says he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world because the context here is incredible. To really understand what he's saying, it's not just a metaphor, right? It's not just a metaphor. It is the key to eternity. And I hope you had a good weekend. We, we did. Well, we took a little bit of time yesterday with Grandma, who's in town with us, and, and we're, we're thankful for her visit. We got to go to a, a pumpkin festival, and, uh, you know, the kids pick out their pumpkins, and they paint them. That's, uh, that's a tradition we have, and, and they're not masterpieces, all right, but, but they, look, they look nice enough, okay? They look great. They, they put their heart and soul into them, and we're, we're proud of them, and we put them proudly right there in our, in our front porch. Um, but the reason I share that story is because we're coming back on Fruitville Road from the pumpkin festival, is because we pass by Robarts Arena and, and where the, the Ringling Circus typically sets up and they have their special events. And what's there now? Do you know? What? The workers. Truck after truck after truck that the linemen go out on, all their bucket trucks. Literally, I, I don't think there's a spare spot in that parking lot. The number of workers that are out there doing relief work. And we, and we pray for them. And we thought about that. How important is it right now that they're out there getting power back on for people? And we're talking life and death. People who, who live off oxygen tanks. People whose homes will be ruined if they don't get some AC in there soon. And, and they get some of, that, some of that damp moisture out. They get some fans blowing. Power is important. What about light as well? In order to even be able to cook or help your family or clean or, or get some debris out, you've got to be able to see what you're doing. There's no light without power. And then you hear the heartbreaking stories of people that hook up generators and they don't know how to use them. And that, that devastates even more. They tried to get light and, and it, it was worse for their family. I think we all understand how important it is to have that light and to have that power. So this morning, when we look at this passage from the Bible where Jesus reveals himself, not just as someone who points to the light, 
was a good person, he was a good teacher. He says, I am the light. That changes everything. This is Christianity. This is what it means to know God or not know God. This is eternal life and death, is to know the light of the world. So I'm going to read this passage for us. In John 8, verses 12 to 21, we do have it up on the screen as well. If you don't happen to have a, te- or a copy of the scripture with you, but I encourage you to follow along if you do. Here's the passage. Again, Jesus spoke to them. So this is the setting is in the temple, the Jewish temple. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the religious leaders that are, that are nearby as well. He spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, which is your accusation, right? And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And that's our passage for this morning. Starts off with light hope and life and and then the end there's a warning there's there's destruction talked about here so where where is this and what's the context of this passage it's very important that we understand this so i did some digging and one of the most helpful commentaries i found was by don carson and it's the uh, gospel according to john pillar new testament commentary so uh, if you're looking for some good commentaries for Bible study, let me know. I, I've got one. It's, it's scholarly, but it's, it's packed full of good stuff. This is happening in a major holiday. The Feast of Tabernacles. And, and honestly, I think Jews even look forward to this feast even more so than Passover. Because there was so much partying and celebrating going on. Kind of like how we view Christmas, right? You, you would think Easter would get more of the celebration, right? We're talking about our Savior rising from the dead. But we, we end up celebrating the birth more. That's fine. But I think that's kind of how the Jews viewed the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what the Feast of the Tabernacles remembered was when God delivered the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And he led them through the wilderness. And you know how he led them? With a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Light, in other words leading the way through the darkness, through the uncertainty to a place they've never been before. And they had to live in temporary dwellings because God says, I've, I've prepared a land for you and I've, there's houses there that you don't have to build. They're already there. There's, there's vineyards there. You didn't have to plant. They're already bearing fruit. All you got to do is follow me and I will guide you there, guide you home. So this celebration remembers that and they would make these temporary 
dwelling booths, you know, out there in their yard, and they, you know, they would kind of rough it a little bit. Um, but, but certainly there was a symbolic view there. And here's something else that would happen. Uh, they'd be singing, they'd be dancing, sometimes all through the night. They would be throwing up a big celebration and then feasting, of course. And now in the court of women, so if you look at the temple, it's this huge complex. And you've got the temple proper, you've got these, um, these pillars surrounding it. And anyone can walk through that temple, even Gentiles can walk through the court of the Gentiles. There's another court inside of that that only Jews could go into. And inside that court, which is called the court of women, there were these four pillars that were basically like giant menorahs. And I got a picture for you here. These pillars are in a museum in, in Washington, D.C. They're just, you know, ordinary pillars. They're, they don't have anything to do with Israel at all. But they are 75 feet high, which is exa exactly how high these pillars were in the court of women. So imagine these pillars. You see people all the way down there at the bottom. These massive pillars with lights on top, lit for the whole city to see. It would practically light up the city. So even if you're not a Jew, if you're in Jerusalem, you're getting affected by, by, this, uh, by this feasting, by this celebration. Huge lights overhead. And, and remember the occasion, they're celebrating the light of God. God is the light to his people who brought them out of slavery into the promised land. And you know what date the feast happened on? This is, this is just wild and crazy interesting. The 15th of Tishri, or you could say October 10th. So tomorrow. <laughs> like, what are the odds? I did not plan that. You know, it was just fascinating to think about. So this is the time where the Jews are celebrating the, the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus steps into this, and he's teaching about himself. He says, I want you to know who I am. So in my own words... Not taking Jesus out of context here. He says, I am the light of the world. How powerful is that statement? You have these lights up above. I'm the light of the world. You're celebrating God bringing you the light. Yeah, that's me. I am the light. Not I am a servant to the one who is the light. I am the light. That is blasphemous. If it's not true, he's claiming to be God. He's saying everything that you're celebrating, I am. That's me. So we see the main point here. What does Jesus mean by that? Jesus reveals himself as the hope for mankind. He's the hope for mankind. First of all, he's God's saving presence. So when he says, I am the light, all through scripture, you see light is, is the symbol and is the evidence of God working and moving and rescuing and helping and restoring. He works through the darkness, and when God shines a light, he's illuminating what he is doing. Look back in Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. Out of the darkness, he creates light. And then you start to see everything else that he is doing in creation. So light shows this is God's presence. This is his working. And after the fall of man, when the whole world and all the universe was plunged into fallenness, light continues to be the way that God rescues. He saves. It's his presence. We already talked about Exodus 13, 21 to 22. 
talking about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God shows light to his people. Psalm 21, 27.1, excuse me, says, God is my light and my salvation. The two are together. God acts and God saves. The light leads the way because he is the light. Then there's these promises in the Old Testament that says one day God's going to send a chosen one, a Messiah, and he is going to be the light. Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Who's that talking about, I wonder? Jesus has all the authority of the scriptures pointing to him. He is rightly God in human flesh. He is the brightest torch you will ever see. It's by him that we see and make sense of everything, whether you're talking scripture or life or culture or, or the difficulties and uncertainties. Who shines brighter in the dark times of life? It's always Jesus. Always. His light is never extinguished. And yet scripture, especially in the gospel according to John, links darkness to spiritual ignorance and rebellion against God. There's light and there's darkness. John 3.19 says that unbelievers, those who refuse Jesus, they loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. We're all evil. We're all born in sin. We're all born in darkness. And we like it that way. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want him to speak in or show up or, or respect the Bible. Our, our culture says, no, 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 no. We are the enlightened ones. We have figured it out. Science and reason will be our way. We don't need that faith stuff anymore. We have our own light. And how's that going for us? More shootings than ever. More suicides than ever. More political division than ever. More dysfunctional families than ever. Oh yes, we are the enlightened ones, no doubt. We have found the way. But Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It's impossible. You will be walking in the light. And we see the Pharisees say, oh, no, no, we're, we got this under control. Jesus, we don't need you. In fact, we're going to accuse you of lying right here to your face in front of the crowd. That's what they're saying. It kind of, it doesn't play out dramatically in the text like that, right? It's like, and the Pharisees said, you, you know, bear false witness about yourself. And we kind of just, oh, okay, you know, yeah, those jerk Pharisees. To think about it, if someone right now were to stand up while I'm speaking and says, you're a liar, get a little tense in here, wouldn't it? <laughs> you're all going to disagree with them. It's going to get tense. I'm going to call Mark over for security, okay? So be ready, Mark. All right, I'm watching, I'm watching. You're a liar. And Jesus just puts that right to bed. He says, even by your own law, you just need two witnesses for it to legally be acceptable that the truth is being told. Guess what? I tell the truth because I know where I've come from. Eternity past. Where were you when the foundations of the world were laid? I was there. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. And who else knows? The Father. 
because the Father and I are one. We have been one from eternity past. And then he even says in another passage, the Spirit also bears witness, especially 1 John. We studied that as a church and went through the whole book. And the Spirit bears witness. There's three. He's not lying. He's telling the truth. And if you reject the light because you love the darkness, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you are going to die in your sin. Because I'm the light. I came here to show you the redeeming power of God, to save you from your sins. To fight the darkness and to win. So my question for you this morning is, where is your heart? As you hear the words of Jesus and as you see him teaching in the temple and even sense his spirit moving among us this morning, as I teach his word, are you drawn in to the light? Tell me more. I love you, Jesus. I want to hear from you. I want to do your will. Or are we in our minds justifying, uh, I don't have to obey that passage of scripture. You know, I'm not sure that that's totally true and accurate. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that he is the Son of God, in whom is no darkness at all, says 1 John 1, 5. He's penetrating the darkness of hearts with his voice. And those who are his children, those who are his followers, he says, my sheep will hear my voice. They'll respond and they will walk in the light. Secondly, he tells us something that is, that is so powerful for our everyday life. And that is that the church has the light of life. Those who follow me. Is he talking about you? Are you one of his church? Are you one of God's children? I hope and pray so. Because whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now walking, that's, that's a common expression in scripture for someone who is living out a life of faith in God. Your walk. We all walk, right? Even those that are in, in wheelchairs, right? Okay, their walking looks a little bit different than us, but they, got, they move, right? They move their chairs. We all walk, but the believer of Jesus walks with Jesus. He walks in the light. 1 John 1, 7 says, they walk in the light as he is in the light. We're married together, Jesus and I. Where he goes, I go. And wherever I go, he is with me. The light never leaves me. I don't have to worry about getting to a stage of my life. And now I, I don't, I won't ever find a way forward. It might, it might feel that way sometimes. Whether it's the dark curtain of death, a loved one, or, or even ourselves. Whether it's a, a disaster that our state has just gone through. Whether it's a disruption in a family relationship. Uh, it could be a whole number of things. But we always have the light because he's on and he's never off. And he illuminates our path as we walk in him. And as we walk, we show that we have the light of life. It's the well that leads to eternal life, Jesus talked about. Because light always produces life. We said, point number one, Jesus speaks and this is God's rescuing power. How do you know that God is powerful and mighty to save? Change lives. Change lives. People who are changed to be like Jesus. And this isn't my opinion. 
This is exactly what scripture says. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We have this on a slide. For God, the same God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus is the glory of God. So as you follow him, you see God's glory. God creates new life where there was death. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Lord of our circumstances. He is the Son of God who shows us the way to the Father. He lights up the path. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. You try to find another way? You try to do it in your own strength or your own power? Or religious deeds? You're not going to find the way. It's following me. He's the one. And we all have our light bulb moments when we come to faith in Jesus. You know, the light bulb moment, it just comes on. It clicks. We've all been there, right? I, I loved working in student ministry with my wife, and, and you work with students that are, you know, figuring things out, or rather they think they have everything figured out. And then just one day, usually it's after someone else has taught them, you know, Bible that night. It's not when I'm teaching them, because I teach them all the time. They're used to me speaking. Someone else speaks, and they're like, wow. I ne wow, I never really understood a relationship with Jesus until tonight. Yeah, I've only been telling you for months and years and, you know, every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning. I don't know what's changed. I can tell you what's changed. The Spirit of God has turned the light bulb on in their heart. And they see Jesus for who he is. That's what we're all about. I don't care if I'm the one who's speaking when that light bulb moment comes. I hope it's the person sitting next to you. Telling you about the Bible and helping you understand and explaining your questions. But that light bulb moment must come because we were in the darkness. But when he saves us, the light comes on. So different than what the Pharisees were peddling to the Jews. If you just do the right things, if you give money to the temple, um, if you do as we say and not as we do because they're a bunch of hypocrites and... They were known for their affairs. They were known for their greed. They were known for their, their pride and, and, and wanting to be seen uh, in, their, in their religious apparel. Not like that. But the ones who would humbly just say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I see who you are. And I need you. We were out serving on Tuesday. Got to talk to a lady. She's a neighbor to someone in our flock. And, and we got to ask her a few questions about her spiritual condition. And the reason I, I bring this story out is because it's so similar to many, many people we talk to throughout this community. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me about your journey. You claim to be a Christian? Tell me about that. And the answer was, uh, let's see, my family has always gone to this church. I won't tell you the name of the church. My family's always gone to this church. My parents and grandparents are buried in the graveyard. We were really tight with the priest. And, you know, we just, we've always gone there. I'm sorry, I thought I asked about your relationship with God. But it was literally just a list of things that we have done or that we're comfortable with 
Therefore, I must be a Christian. People don't even know they're walking in darkness. That's how blind we are. And I used to be one of them. It's only by God's grace that he rescued me and set me on the path. So church, let me remind us, we are here in this community for such a time as this. Who is going to reach the people in the darkness and lead them to the great light? If not us. You can say, oh, well, maybe the church down the road. But you know, I hope they do. But I don't want to miss out on the blessing of being obedient to Jesus and helping people find new life in him. That is the greatest joy. That is the greatest privilege. I'll trade any amount of money to lead one person to Jesus because that's eternity we're talking about. Here's the third thing Jesus tells us. This is an implication, but it's also a command or rather a, a directive in his Sermon on the Mount. God calls us to be a city on a hill. God calls us to be a light just like him because we have the light. Matthew 5, 14, and then verse 16. Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. Whoa, Jesus said he was the light of the world. Yes, both of these are possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the light and he works through us and we are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. So an authentic community of people who love God and love others and who have been changed. I've been brought from death to life. I was moved from the darkness and now I was blind and I, was, I can see. And I want to commend you all because I think that's the number one thing that people have said as they've come through these doors. As first time guests or people that were serving out there. We see Jesus in these people. We feel loved. We can tell our lives matter. Because the light is shining through you to them. Now think with me. If we all get saved and we follow Jesus, but we stay apart. It's like in, in, the, in the, the darkest of night and you've got a storm going on by the seashore. And you've got a couple people with flashlights strung out along the shoreline. How, how big of a warning light is that to a ship liner coming by that's trying to find safe harbor? They're not going to see that. The, the, the mist alone, the rain alone, they're not going to see that. But a lighthouse, now that can save lives. That is a powerful beam. When we are together proclaiming the light of Jesus, when we serve together, when we pray together, when we help each other understand the Bible, when we're reaching our neighbors together, we shine brighter for Jesus. That's his plan. You are the city on a hill, not cities, plural. Christians, you all go off and do your own thing. You, the church, are city on the hill. Therefore, verse 16, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your father in heaven. So we have a choice to make to display the light. If I'm in Christ, I can't turn the light off. But I can't allow things to come into my life or priorities to arrange themselves so now the light is not shining so brightly. Or maybe I'm selfish with the light and I just stay at home. Because <laughs> honestly, it's just easier to sit on the couch and watch Netflix every evening. You know? Let your light shine. 
We go out, we're intentional to show love because people need Jesus. And we glorify our Father the best and we shine the brightest when we intentionally display our lives in a way that makes our Father look good. That's why we got to be radical about cutting sin out of our lives. Any hint of sin shows the world, actually the darkness is pretty good. Maybe it's better than the light. You don't need Jesus. You stay in your sin. You'll, you be a good person. You'll be fine. No, sin is the darkness. It's what obscures the light. It's what keeps people from Jesus. Lord, forgive me for when I let my pride get in the way. When I let my opinions become more important than kingdom work. I'm called to be a city shining on a hill. And God's called me to this with you all. And I'm really thankful this past Thursday we had a disciple shift moment. That's what, that's what I'm calling it, disciple shift. Because if you're in Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus. Whether or not you understand all the Bible, whether or not you've, you've cut every part of sin out of your life, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus. But disciple shift happens when I grow up a little bit in my faith and I say, you know what? I better make sure I understand this word because as I live, that's the Jesus that people see in my neighborhood. That's the Jesus people see at work and the grocery store. So, so we had a great discussion about this and we, we were like, hey, I need to make sure I'm, I'm understanding this message because I'm supposed to go share this with people. And if I don't get the message right, not only am I not shining brightly for Jesus, I could be directing them the wrong way. By God's grace, we don't want that. So here's a growing up moment for us. My devotion to Jesus, it's not just a me and Jesus. It's not just a personal faith. It has an impact on others. It has a real-time impact on those around me. Just think about what kind of impact it has on your family. If someone lives a hypocritical Christian life, goes to church, does all the religious things, but they go home and they're a jerk to their family, what does that teach their kids? They shine the light to Jesus? So I need to be fully devoted to Jesus for my own sake, yes, but also to make disciples. I am here to be a light. We as a church are here to be a light. And we're a light when we gather for worship. We're a light when we serve. When we emphasize the word of God over what the culture says. And the culture does not like it. You're going to get some negative comments on your Facebook posts. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called somebody who, who is not loving. Or who doesn't genuinely care about people's mental health. And you're saying, who cares more about your mental health than Jesus? I want to show you Jesus. He is life. He is light in the darkness. They might not want to hear it, but they need to all the same. This is the good news we've been entrusted with. So you individually need to be in the word and in prayer on a daily basis. We as a church in North Sarasota, we are here to be a light to around 700,000 people in our metro population area who are living in darkness. Are we going to reach all of them alone? No, but we can reach some together. And we will. Do you think 
it was any mistake that we launched on September 18th and here comes a hurricane on September 28th. You think for one second, God wasn't fully aware of all those circumstances. So take heart church. We were born literally as a church for such a time as this. God placed us here to be a light. You might, you might say, well, we're not very big right now, you know, or, you know, this disaster relief has caused just as many headaches and hurdles as it has opportunities. The light's cutting through the darkness. Let his light shine from you before men. One example would be our children's ministry. These children get to hear about Jesus on a weekly basis. Such a valuable, important ministry. And I want to encourage you all, would you be willing to consider serving for a week over there? Maybe not because you're amazing with kids, but because you get to be a light. And our children need to see that light in more than just their parents or grandparents. More children will come in as we show them the light. And God's given us an amazing opportunity on Saturday, October 29th, where we get to be a light, not just to our people, but to the entire school community of Canaan Elementary. They're having their annual fall festival. And they could use help setting up. They could use help with a PA system, getting that set up. And they, they are saying, we want Living Hope Church to set up a tent as well. You can have some games for the kids. You can also have spiritual materials available for people. So all these families who are here for food and fun also get to think about, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And we as a church get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to say, can I pray for you? Can I help you? What needs do you have? We're here to serve. We are a church for this community, for Bradenton, Sarasota. Let us help. What kind of impact is that going to have? Not just on the parents, but on the kids too. October 29th. I don't have an exact time yet, but it's a date. Put it on the calendar. Circle it. Plan on it. Invite your family to be a part of it because it's for the kids. We just show them the light of Jesus. We can do a trunk or treat. We serve them treats, but we also serve them love at the same time. God put us here for a reason, and it's to shine brightly for Jesus. So let's remember, church. Remember, Jesus is the hope for mankind. Jesus saves. Jesus is the light of the world. But he has given us his light for those of us who put our faith in him. And he's shining through us for all the world to see. So who's the one person this week? that you want to intentionally show the light to with your life. Don't keep it for yourself. Share it with others. Let's pray.